On this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Sean Hyken, onto the show to discuss how the league has handled COVID, the league's players' response to the capital attack, and Mark Harrell Fultz's season-ending injury. Then Matt and Justin break down the latest news with the NBA handling the pandemic, our opinions on the capital attack, trending teams in the league, and the Shaq-Rudy-Gobert beef. And now, Sean Hyken. He covers the NBA for Bleacher Report. We welcome Sean Hyken onto onto the Hoopsology podcast. How's it going, Sean? Doing all right, Justin. How about you? Doing pretty well. Um, it's very it's been a very eventful week, and um, I originally wanted your thoughts on just the the events of this past week relating to the NBA. But um, today it's been really a, a big day recording this podcast on a Saturday regarding the NBA and COVID. So I just wanted your insight regarding um, how the league has handled the pandemic. And if you don't mind, I want to read um, a tweet that you had just earlier today because um, I thought it was very uh, poignant, and I just wanted to use to expand on it. Um, you said the NBA is going to keep playing games like there is nothing wrong, which is their prerogative, but this should end the Adam Silver is the sports commissioner that did it the right way and was a model for others' idea. Um, could you elaborate on that? Because um, Adam Silver has been praised for how he's handled um, the pandemic with, with the, the bubble and now going out of it. Um, what do you think has gone wrong so far? Well, the thing about the I guess the the tweet, kind of what I was getting at there is, I mean, Adam deserves a lot of the praise that he got for the bubble in terms of the way they were able to pull it off uh, that, you know, with no positive test, they played the season and, you know, it, it went about as well as it could have. But they kind of just lucked into the idea that they, you know, the fact that one of their corporate partners in Disney just happened to have this campus that was exactly perfect for what they were trying to pull off and they were able to do it. But Adam really just kind of over the last, basically since then, and basically going back to really the beginning of the pandemic, remember they were the first league to shut down after the Rudy Gobert positive test. And then over the next couple of days, all the other sports leagues kind of followed suit. And, you know, he was kind of getting all this, you know, talk of this is the commissioner that's the leader of the, of the, you know, of the COVID movement and or of the, how to bring sports back during COVID. And, Adam really likes that reputation. He's really into the idea that, you know, pushing this perception that he is, that the NBA is the league that did it the right way. But then, and obviously, I understand that, like, they kind of have the same limitations as everybody else does in terms of trying to do the do a season during COVID and, and outside of a bubble. And there was, it was never really realistic they were going to be able to do it in another bubble, even though that would have made the most sense from a safety standpoint, just because, like, you can get the players and the team staff and the owners on board with doing a bubble for three months to finish out a season that had mostly been played. But if you're asking players to sign up for being away from their families and their kids for seven or eight or nine months, in some cases to finish a seat, to do a whole season, that's just not realistic. But, and so basically the, what the NBA's, you know, bubble stuff so far, I mean, they do have more protocols in place. Like they have that huge manual of, you know, rules for who can be around what, but it does seem like they're really doing it kind of the same way that the NFL and major league baseball did, which is what kind of what I was getting at with the tweet where it's like, Oh, well, uh, there was a positive test during a game like with, with Seth Curry. Well, uh, we'll just only quarantine some of the team and then we'll play the game in the next, like a two days later. And then, uh, 
you know, the Sixers are trying to get them to postpone, so they're going to make up injuries for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, but they're still going to make them play with seven healthy players. And, like, the whole thing is just, and I understand that, like, they have to make this money back and they have to get this season played so that they can start next season on the normal calendar to start in October because I don't think they want to be starting on Christmas going forward like they did this year, That you know, just because I don't think they want to play into the summer just because of how bad the TV ratings were. But it's just, it's kind of poking some holes into this idea that the NBA is like this virtuous league that's, they're the only sports league that's really handling COVID right. And they're, you know, they're the ones that are setting the example. Because so far, it seems like this season outside of a bubble is basically just going the same way that the baseball and football seasons have. Well, you bring up a good point with this, the Seth Curry situation with just with the Wizards before, right? It's, I mean, what about them? I mean, <laughs> they were exposed to him the day before and nothing was done with that team. And it, it just seems like they're kind of, with all these protocols in place, um, you would think they have a better battleground moving forward, but it seems like they're kind of figuring out as we go along, which is extremely scary. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think is the, the worst possible scenario? Uh, do you see... The NBA, just no matter what, just trying to get this season done despite the number of COVID cases? Or do you think the league would shut down again, possibly? Well, the worst case scenario is a player dies. Sure. Exactly. Like, that's that's in play. I don't know if you've read uh, my buddy Jason Quick, who covers the Blazers for The Athletic. Had, I'm I'm, ba- I'm based in Portland, so I'm kind of around the Blazers a lot. And Jason Quick, who's the Blazers beat writer for The Athletic, uh, had a story about a week ago with Nasir Little, who, you know, second-year player on the Blazers, he got COVID during training camp, and he talked to Jason about kind of a lot of the the stuff he went through, and he really went through it. Like, it wasn't just, you know, he got COVID, and he was a little bit sick for a week, and then he was fine. He really went through it bad, and it was just, and it just kind kind of reinforced the fact that even though, you know, these NBA players are all in their 20s, and they're in world class shape, it could still hit them bad. And so it's not outside of the realm of possibility that a player dies from it, which that's, I mean, I don't want to get too morbid, but that's, that's in play. That's within the realm of possibility, but that's, so that's the worst case scenario. I think if there's like multiple teams that at the same time, all have this huge outbreak and aren't able to field enough healthy players. Like if what, you know, what happened with the Rockets on opening night when they weren't able to play the game against Oklahoma city uh, because they didn't have enough healthy players. If that happened to like five or six teams where basically a third of the league or more had to postpone a bunch of their games for like a week or two, I think that would might be enough for the NBA to uh, at least postpone it. I don't think they're going to completely pull the plug on it because I think they realize even if it's a if, if it's a situation like it was back in March where they shut it down for four months and then decided to come back and do the rest of the season in a bubble because the alternative is not finishing the season and defaulting on the TV deals. I think one way or another they're going to get through the season, but it's we've we're, we're seeing now that it's it's not going to be easy, and I don't know how it's going to work out. I've kind of gotten past the point of feeling like it's really my place to say what I think they should or shouldn't do. And this was kind of my stance in the bubble or like leading up to the bubble as well. I was just like, well, I, whether I think they should do it or not, doesn't mean they're going to do it or not. I don't really, I don't have any say in the matter. So I'm just going to deal with whatever they decide to do. And that's kind of still where I'm at. I, I don't feel great about any of it. 
Yeah, me either. It's a very uneasy situation, and especially because we don't know the the long term risk of COVID as well. Even right. for people that got COVID, and they were fine in a week. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen to them in it from a year from now. Um, so it's just an extremely just a uh, scary situation. Well, um, you saw what happened with that yeah. player at Florida State, where he exactly. had it over the summer and seemed yeah. like he recovered, and then he got diagnosed with that heart condition months exactly. later. Like. Yep. You have no idea like how much of that is going to happen you know, down the line. It could be years from now we're starting to see there's these long-term effects from, from it that people just didn't know about. So I, I can't blame anybody for deciding that they just think the NBA shouldn't play at all. I guess I just, I'm just kind of at the point where I understand that that's just that's where they're at. That's what they're going to do, and I just have to hope that it works out okay. Um, re- regarding that, just with other sports, I-, I noticed myself, I used to be a big football fan and this season that has seemed completely disinterested just based on the conditions that we're in, not to mention very little to no fans being there from a NBA standpoint. Now that we're outside of the bubble and really, I think only golden state has those digital fans. Have you noticed a drop off in just uh, fan interest just based on the circumstances and just the COVID cases and just from the presentation, have you just noticed kind of the NBA just seeing a dip from, from that point in terms of fan interest? Well, it's been interesting because I mean, I've, I've seen the press releases that say that they've had like the best ratings in five years or whatever for opening night. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm not really a ratings expert, so I don't really know what that is from, uh, you know, for, you know, how that's continued or I'm, it's, I'm not really like a, a sports ratings expert or, or anything. I will say I've gone to a few Blazers games with no fans as media. And it's kind of weird just being in an, in an empty arena, just watching these games. And they have piped in crowd noise. They try to make it feel like it's a normal game, but you look and you see all these empty seats and it's just bizarre. So from that standpoint, it's kind of weird. And I think there, there are some situations where like it, it just, it feels like it is impacting the product a little bit, just I don't know whether it's just because there's, you know, they had a shorter training camp, but does it feel to you like there are just way more blowouts this year than oh, there have been normally? That we, we, my, my co-host and I brought that up last week, like insane blowouts, like by a massive margin. <laughs> um, we and then they're, discussing. and then they're doing yeah. these two game series where yes. you play, you play a team twice in the same city, which, and, and so far, at least for the, for, for most of them, or I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but for, a lot of them, the, where teams play each other twice in a row. This happened when the Blazers went down to San Francisco to play the Warriors. The first game, the Blazers blew out the Warriors. The second game, the Warriors blew out the Blazers. So it's just a whole lot of these two teams. No matter on paper how they look, how they are, you know, talent wise, there's just all these results where you're just like, like the Jazz got blown out the other night by the Nets without Kevin Durant. Like sure. <laughs> there's just. There's so much stuff that like it's it's so weird to even try to like predict like, oh, this is who I think is going to win the title. This is who this is how I think these two teams match up if they were to meet in the playoffs, because you just don't I'm, I'm, I'm not great with predictions anyway. But especially this year, there's just so much going on that is so unprecedented that you just don't know how to react to any of it or what's real or what's not real or. You know, are the Orlando Magic still going to be five and two or are, are they still going to be one of the best teams in the East? Or is that kind of a fluke? Like there's always some weird fluky stuff at the beginning of the season, but now more so than ever, I think, just because of how strange of a position everybody's in. that That's just kind of where everything is at. Um, in, in, in saying that, do you think 
in terms of the teams that have performed better than expectations, like you you mentioned, the Atlanta Magic, the the Suns, even to some extent the Knicks. Um, should we just wait until we get maybe 30 games in to really have a proper assessment of these teams? Um, it just seems like it's really just hard to get a beat on what's going on. I mean, it was even bizarre with like Stephen Curry in terms of people saying he's gone off to a terrible start. His stats were fine. And now he, you know, he gone off for that 62 point game. And I think he had 38 points the other night. Like he, he it's clear he's fine. But it just seems like people are just overreacting and just making some snap judgments when the stats prove otherwise. Should there just be some more data that should come out before we make a accurate prediction regarding playoff um, seating? There's always a lot of early season overreactions. And I think in the specific case of the Warriors, the turning point for them was that when Draymond Green came back, and I know that statistically his his numbers haven't been great, but he just does so much for them on the defensive end. And he does just him being on the floor allows so many other guys to get more open looks because he's such a smart playmaker that that's real. I think to me, that's made a huge difference for the Warriors. But as far as just overall in the league, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on where you just there, there you know, there's there's early season stuff that there's all there's. Again, there's always early season stuff. I remember the Timberwolves last year got off to this great start, and it seemed like the Timberwolves were finally going to be, you know, turning it around and, you know, maybe being a playoff team again. And then it just kind of fell off a cliff. I think at some point it's going to normalize in terms of like the teams we thought were going to be good are going to be good. The teams we thought were going to be bad are going to be bad. It's just early on in the season, especially, you know, a year like this where everybody's getting used to playing with no fans. The travel schedule is weird. Uh, There's so many more restrictions about what guys can and can't do when they're on the road that I think looking at it a couple of weeks into the season and saying, this is who I think is good. This is who I think is bad. Then thinking it's going to carry over. I think is kind of foolish, honestly. Um, I just want to get your your thoughts with regarding the league and just the, the capital attack regarding uh, players and coaches speaking out from Greg Popovich to LeBron to Draymond Green. Um, I, our podcast spent a lot of time talking about the, the social injustice um, yeah. regarding how the WNBA and the NBA reacted to it and moving forward, what the league is going to do now that it just appears that the, the league uh, from a perception standpoint was pretty pro Biden now that he's president. And now that there's, you know, um, well, not Demo- for two more weeks, hope, hopefully he's <laughs> able to get in office. Sure. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> You're we, exactly we've right. Seen what's happened this week when they try to, you know, That's actually, true certify the results and how sure. the other side sort of reacts to it. So hopefully, sure. you know, cr- fingers crossed that in, in 10 days or whatever, he's able to actually become president. I feel like ab- absolutely. Um, my, my question to you is just what should the league do in terms of being proactive on just social justice issues? Because it's just a thing where it, it there's a risk of it not being in the limelight anymore. Once if, if hopefully Biden gets into office and, you know, everything just someone gets back to a decent kind of a normal. Um, it seems like these issues that were brought up in, in 2020 may be forgotten. And I guess my concern is that the league may not be, we may not hear these statements from Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or LeBron or a lot of these players um, moving forward when it's it's not in the news. So I'm just wondering in terms of how the NBA was proactive last year, how do you think that's going to continue, even though that's not on the um, the minds of people on a daily basis? Well, what I would say to that is I don't think that Donald Trump not being president anymore is going to 
make it so that all this stuff is just not in the news anymore. It's, it's going to not be in the news in the same way because you don't have to worry about the president waking up one morning and deciding to tweet something that starts a, you know, that causes like a, a riot at, at the Capitol or something like that. But it, there's this, these issues are still going to, I don't think anybody in the league or elsewhere is under the illusion that just because Donald Trump isn't president anymore in 10 days, that suddenly all of these things are going to go away. And I think we've seen what, I mean, you saw like 24 hours before the Capitol attack, uh, they announced in Kenosha that the officers that shot Jacob Blake were not going to be charged with anything. And the Jacob Blake shooting and the video that came out from that was the thing that caused the NBA players over the summer in the bubble to decide to walk away for a couple of days. And that's, you know, just the fact that, you know, seven months or five, four, however many months ago that was, now that the, the charges weren't brought against the officers, I think that was just sort of a reminder that this stuff is going to go away. And unfortunately, there's going to be another video like that that surfaces of another black man getting shot by the police and nothing ever happening to the officers. That's going to be a thing that's unfortunately still happens. And so I think the the thing the and you, you know, there's a different discussion to be had about whether what the players did uh, over the summer went far enough in terms of should they have completely walked away from the season. There are people who believe that I don't necessarily agree with them, but that's just a discussion that's out there. But I think one of the things that, you know, the players realize is yes, they did get, you know, part of, you know, when they decided to walk away for a couple of days, they did get some of these owners, a lot of whom are in the tax bracket where they're generally not on the same side of these issues as a lot of the players are to agree to move their arenas and make or make their arenas be voting booths. And then you saw kind of what the turnout was. I don't want to give NBA players all of the credit for doing that. And in fact, I think we need to specifically mention the WNBA because the Atlanta dream, I think literally were responsible for flipping two Senate seats in Georgia. Agreed. Yep. But, but I think these players have kind of realized that they have, power and I, I don't I don't think that just because we're you know not in the bubble anymore and then once once the current president isn't president anymore uh I don't think that's going to make these players decide to suddenly stop talking about this stuff or stop and if and if anything I think the the fact that like they've become part of the conversation means and I, I think a lot of media members myself included but like I think media members are going to be a lot more inclined to keep asking players about this stuff too I because I, I think one of the issues that like or, or one of the, not I don't want to say issues because I don't think this is a bad thing. But uh, one of the things that happened in the bubble would be there would be certain players who would sit down at uh, at their Zoom press conferences and say, I'm not going to answer any basketball questions today. I'm only going to talk about Breonna Taylor or I'm only going to talk about, you know, this or I'm only going to like they're going to. I think that that's going to continue at some point and maybe not every single time, but I think that's going to be the thing that are, it's going to be continuing to be a part of the league. Like the, the NBA, when they decided to put black lives matter on the court and they decided to have them put those slogans on the back of their jerseys. I know those are very surface level things. And those were probably pretty focused grouped by the league in terms of like how much money is this going to lose us? It's not going to lose us a lot of money, but I think once the league made the decision that they're going to be the league that embraces their players being, you know, having voices and talking about this stuff, I don't think the players are going to stop doing that, especially when you look at who is the leadership at the players union. It's like Chris Paul and CJ McCollum and these guys who have actually, you know, have been active on this stuff in the past. I don't think that they're going to suddenly stop doing that. 
for sure. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on Markel Fultz as well. I, I read your article, and I thought it was really insightful. Um, Fultz is, is a player that it, it seems like he was forgotten in, in NBA history, and he was in a midst of a resurgence. And I just want to kind of take, take our listeners through kind of – the journey of Markel Fultz from being his number one pick, all of the pressure, all of the scrutiny, um, just really being forgotten about and, and see it were really one of the cool stories of this this year was seeing his rise as a leader of this Orlando Magic team only to be derailed by a torn left ACL. Um, can you walk us through that? And then also, I mean, a torn ACL is a brutal injury to recover from, but do you think he has what it takes to recover and still be on, be on his trajectory he was on before he got hurt? Well, this is kind of, this is going to sound kind of morbid, but the, if you want, if you want some, you know, silver lining of this injury. At least this is a normal injury. This is an injury like players tear their ACLs all the time. NBA teams, medical staffs have so much experience dealing with like players rehabbing from torn ACLs and more and more guys. Now, if you look at somebody like Zach Levine or, you know, there's a couple of other guys recently who have come back and been fine. A torn ACL is not the like career ending injury that it was 20 years ago or something. And so at the very least, like, at least this is an injury where, like, it sucks for him, obviously, and it's, you know, it's a bummer for him and from his personal story that, you know, he had this weird early start to his career, and now he finally has found a home in Orlando, and he's having a good year, and then this happens. That sucks for him, but at least this is an injury where we know how the rehab is going to go from this injury because it's a pretty common injury, as opposed to those shoulder injuries that he had in Philly, where, like, the thing you have to remember about Markel Fultz is when he was the number one pick out of Washington, he was a 41% three-point shooter. That was like yes, one of yes. his best skills. And yep. then he gets to the NBA and it looks like he completely forgot how to shoot. And it was to mm -hmm. the point where people were saying, is it a mental thing? Does he have the yips? Does he just like, and then they ended up finding out months later, there were all of these different, you know, tests that they ran. They couldn't identify this injury. And then they feel realize, okay, he does have this weird, you know, shoulder injury that, it took us a while to diagnose, at least with the ACL. It's like he tore his ACL. We know exactly what the injury is. This is what the surgery is. This is what the rehab is going to look like. We know how to deal with this. Like, I am not that worried about him coming back and being fine in general. It just from a personal standpoint, just sucks for him considering how, you know, the, the, the career that he's had so far where, you know, anytime you're the number one pick, especially – going on to a team like the Sixers, where at the time, you know, Joel Embiid had just had his rookie season and Ben Simmons was about to make his debut because he missed his actual rookie season. And so that there was a lot of hype around that team. And then Markel Fultz has this shoulder stuff going on where he just completely, you know, his shot is completely broken. And then it, he, he becomes kind of, and especially the fact that, you know, they did that trade with the Celtics and then the Celtics, uh, took Jason Tatum with their pick and Jason Tatum like looks like a future all-star immediately in his rookie season. So from that standpoint, like he kind of got a raw deal in terms of how he was treated by some, you know, fans in Philly, especially considering that the trade was made by the Colangelos who had replaced Sam Hinkie, who's like the beloved guy there. And so there becomes this whole thing of after what happened with him happened, it was like, Oh, well, Sam Hinkie wouldn't have done that trade or Sam Hinkie would have like, he kind of got all this stuff projected onto him that has nothing to do with him. And then, you know, he gets traded to Orlando and he basically had like one good season last year in Orlando where like he basically had, you know, he had one good season and they rewarded him with this contract extension 
where it was a show of faith that, yeah, they were going to, you know, they believed in him and he was, it was paying off. And this this year, I think the thing that's cool about it is his shots still hasn't come back. He was still shooting below 30% from three point range, but he was still finding so many other ways to be effective as a playmaker, as a defender. He kind of had figured out a way to reinvent himself after all this adversity and become a useful NBA player. So just from a personal standpoint, it sucks to just see, that happened to him when he just seems like he's starting to finally put it all together. For sure. I, hopefully he, he can bounce back. Um, Sean, one last question for you. Uh, I'm asking, asking a lot of journalists that we've had on just regarding your, your mindset covering the league since the pandemics happened, what challenges have you encountered um, since the pandemic has happened? And do you think once hopefully things get back to somewhat of a decent normal, do you see a lot of these pandemic um I guess, for lack of a better term, procedures that are in place now, do you see them sticking around even after the pandemic is over? God, I hope we don't do Zoom calls anymore once the thing is over. It's, I, like, the the Zoom thing, and I actually have to give a lot of credit to the PR staffs around the league for being able to put all that stuff together, and it's been pretty smooth, but especially for someone like me, where a lot of what I do is dependent on getting one-on-one interviews with people, That just does not happen anymore. You can't, there's really no way to get a lot of that to happen during this pandemic when you're just kind of on the same Zoom calls as everybody else. I have been going to games in Portland, but there's really no point in terms of the access. You basically go watch the game from a seat in the arena and then you get on the Zoom call, which you could just get on from home. And there are some reporters here in Portland that normally would go to games that have just decided since there's no extra access, it's not really worth the risk. I think losing the one-on-one access and losing the locker room access, I think has hurt the quality, not just of my work, but of the work of, you know, a lot of other people who would normally have to, you know, you know, have the ability to talk to guys off to the side or pull someone to, uh, to the side in the locker room. And then you have to ask these feature questions on these zoom calls where then you basically are giving away what your angle is. And then anybody else can just take whatever the quote is that you ended up uh, getting, even if it was like for a specific story, like it's a lot of stuff. I mean, I think the good writers and the good reporters have been able to find ways to navigate it, but I, I will not be sad when the zoom access goes away. I have, I have, and I've heard from people who have talked to, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a member of the Pro Basketball Writers Association, and I know that our leadership has had conversations with the league office about this stuff. And obviously, right now, what it is right now is just what it has to be, just from a safety standpoint. They don't want us getting near any of the players or any of that stuff. I totally understand that, but uh, apparently, the league office has assured us that once this pandemic is over and is under control we're going to get our old level of access back. And they have also kind of hinted, this is not like a hundred percent, but they haven't, I'll I'll just say this. They haven't said for sure that the way it is right now is the way it's going to be the rest of the season. I think they're hoping that by April or May around the time of the playoffs, enough people have gotten the vaccine that things have calmed down a little bit. And then maybe at the very least, even if they're not letting us into locker rooms, they can start letting us do socially distanced in-person press conferences again or something to that effect. I I don't know. It's going to take a while for it all to get back to normal. I think eventually it will. But I I mean, it could be a lot worse than it is right now, but I 
I do hope that once the pandemic is over, the Zoom access goes away. Yeah, it is. It's weird just to see kind of that interaction with post game press conference from a, from a Zoom call. Um, it's from just a fan perspective, just watching on the, on YouTube. Um, so so hopefully things do get back to where it was pre pandemic. Um, Sean, thank you very much for joining us. Um, please push where we can uh, find you on social media and any projects that you're working on for this year as well. So you can follow me on Twitter at Hiken. Uh, the last thing I wrote for BR was that Markel Fultz column after the his knee injury. I've got a couple other things I'm working on right now that are just kind of in different stages of completion. So but just follow me on Twitter, at Hiken, and that'll be kind of where, where you can find any of that stuff whenever it uh, is coming out. Awesome, Sean. Um, thank you for taking time out of your um, Saturday to join the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Welcome to another episode of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? How are you doing? Good, man. How's your week going considering all the craziness in the world, dude? <laughs> oh, heavy, heavy. But uh, yeah. but I am grateful to be here to talk some basketball with you. Hopefully we can uh, you know, provide a, a little bit of relief uh, to some people, you know, a little, little bit of entertainment with uh, stuff on and off the court. And then, and of course there's no way around it. It's been a heavy week. So, you know, my, my thoughts and prayers just go out to everyone in this nation. I, I hope we can heal from this week and improve where things are at. Um, you know, that's kind of where my head's at. Um, but, you know, I, I am grateful that we do have NBA still in action and we do have a lot of things to talk about uh, with regard to that. We do, and we have a uh, busy schedule of guests, as you might have heard. Um, a big thank you goes out to Sean um, Hyken of Bleacher Report for um, yeah. joining the show. Um, really appreciate him um, coming on and lending his insight uh, regarding multiple um, NBA topics. And we let the cat out of the bag um, probably around Wednesday, Thursday um, of this week of January 2021. We will have um, Chris Manning onto Hoopsology. Um, he is the host of NBA 2K's TV. Um, a great interview. Went about 50 minutes um, discussing everything NBA 2K. So if you ever played that video game, even just looking at it, you saw a frame, maybe just checking it out. Um, never asked me to put your hands on the controller. Um, it is a very, very insightful interview to check out. So um, that will be uploaded um, mid-time this week. And we have a full, I would say, close to two months booked of guests so um stay tuned for that i'm just talking hoops so um 2021 looks to be a very promising year in terms of uh bringing you the best guests from all over the basketball world so matt let's not waste any time and let's hop into our our first topic and unfortunately it's a it's a heavy topic and it has (laughs) to do um with with covid unfortunately um the pandemic itself and as the recording of this podcast i believe the date is january 10th 2021 and the tweet from um shams chasherna from the athletic i want to read this um this says the boston celtics miami heat game Tonight has been postponed. Sources tell the athletic and stadium a Heat player has returned an inconclusive test and team does not have required eight players to proceed with the game tonight due to contract tracing. 
So this seems to be just a, a massive issue for the league and resembles a lot of their counterparts in the NFL, Major League Baseball, etc. And it proves, I think, once and for all, unless you're in a bubble type environment or you're in an environment with the UFC in which you have a all your a talent headed towards one destination and all that talent leaving that destination afterwards, if they're going to be traveling around to multiple cities um, multiple times per week, it's impossible for these guys not to get COVID. It's just too difficult. Um, I want to read you some more news here um, just regarding what's happening, because it, I think this is, this is a pretty serious issue. And as we, as I discussed with Hiken, you know, the, the consequences of this, even if a player is healthy, um, getting COVID and they have no symptoms, you know, eight months from now, will the league be liable if that player has health problems down the line? We just don't know enough about this virus to really know one way or another. So it really is, it is just a super um, scary situation. And I want to read this comment from Vincent Goodwill at Yahoo sports. Um, Very, very, um, scathing comments from him this is what he has to say um the league tried its best but it can't control all of life's variables nor it can follow other professional sports as guides major league baseball nearly turned disastrous at the end of the world series a scenario the nba can't afford the nfl is a soulless as it is single-minded on collecting every last dollar it is owed and its games being once a week makes it easier to contain the virus while insisting the show must go on. Travel is limited, especially compared to the up, up, down, in out culture the NBA schedule naturally provides. And because the NBA isn't as outwardly ruthless, towing the line as partly corporate entity, part civic asset it's hard to come to grips with his players coming down with the virus and there'll be no swift reaction from silver and the league office and one more thing matt before i turn it over to you um there's a podcast that covers um the, the nba um dunk town um as a female only podcast they said um a, a direct quote from them uh, we've come to the decision to no longer cover the current nba season unless changes are made to protect the health and safety of everyone involved players staff family support workers etc the show will continue to um, to get the show will continue with guest interviews and other content that we're doing that we do during off season. No judgment for anybody that will be continuing to watch games because we fully understand it's a needed escape for many, but it did not feel right for us for the time being. Love you. Um, very just, I, I noticed this was happening all over the internet yesterday when I was conducting the interview. Um, it just seems like a very sharp reaction. And I guess I want to ask you first, just in terms of the general reaction from a lot of people, um, for instance, from Dunktown, I'm, I'm glad they actually took that action if they felt that way, instead of just, you know, still watching games and still having a massive problem with it. So what do you make of all this, man? Do you think the NBA can pull this together? Do you think they underestimate it being outside the bubble? What do you make of this situation? We saw similar trends in the NFL during their season. I couldn't tell you specifically which week of their season because it was so long ago. Uh, we saw a similar trend in the MLB. Uh, if you can recall, the uh, the Marlins, I believe, were the first team that uh, had to stop playing games uh, because of COVID and, and how it spread in their club room. Um, you know, when when you look at 
what's going on with COVID. I mean, I, I think the NBA is just kind of a microcosm of everything else that's going on. This is super contagious. Uh, this is, you know, I, I guess we're in the middle of, or maybe at the end of hopefully uh, the, the second big wave of coronavirus. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know uh, where we are in terms of the timeline of this particular wave. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't blame the NBA fully because they, it's also untenable to assume that we can have a bubble again. Um, and, and that was made pretty clear early on. Uh, I do applaud their efforts in getting a season going and moving on. Um, you know, data wise, if we look at populations that are typically seriously uh, impacted by the, the coronavirus, um, you know, the NBA players should be at very, 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 very low risk. But, um, you know, I have obviously you're, you're spot on with long-term effects. We just don't know at this point. Uh, and, and there is risk involved just as there's risk uh, in, you know, getting your car and getting in your car and going to get groceries or, you know, whatever, whatever we're doing in daily life now. So I don't know for, for myself personally, I guess I, I take the stance of uh, waiting to rush to criticism of the NBA in particular. I think they have shown um, a long history at this point of caring for their players. I mean, especially under Adam Silver, caring for their players, trying to ensure their safety. I don't think this is some situation where you have, um, you know, a situation like, for example, Thursday night football games with the NFL where, oh, we're really concerned. We want you guys to recover. But hey, let's play these games on Thursday night after you've done a game on Sunday. Uh, you know, a situation like that. I, I wouldn't liken this to that. Uh, and I, I don't want to talk in circles specifically. I, I think everyone's going to feel differently about this. I, I'm certainly not trying to allude that coronavirus is, is nothing to worry about. You know, I'm hopeful that in another two months or so, maybe all the players have the opportunity to be vaccinated and maybe it's a non-issue moving into the playoffs. But, you know, I just can't really uh, pre predict all that. Um, I don't know. Those are just kind of my thoughts, you know, based on on what I'm hearing and, and what you've laid out to me. We have really strange situations like uh Joking yesterday that the 76ers were going to put Dwight Howard at point guard. I don't know if you saw some of that talk no. on Twitter since <laughs> they had uh, seven players on their roster against uh, the Nuggets. And I think, um, you know, my, my hope would be, and obviously I can't say this with any sort of certainty, but my hope would be that this is going to be a two to four week period where this spreads a little bit during the league and then hopefully it becomes, you know, maybe within like two or three months, I hope it's a non-issue. And obviously, you know, it goes without saying both you and I, um, you know, of course the hope these players don't contract any long-term issues or things like that. Obviously uh, nobody, nobody hopes for that. Um, so I don't know. Do you have uh, further thoughts on this? Do you, do you think we could reach a point in time where it gets, um, so prevalent throughout the league that we have to stop like entire weeks of play to get over this? Um, I don't think so. Just 
the unpredictability of this virus in terms of I've heard multiple stories of people coming in contact with somebody with COVID and then that person that comes in contact, they don't get COVID. It's just, it's so mysterious. And then we've seen the opposite where one person comes in contact with multiple people and that per that single person has COVID. And unfortunately those family members, they succumb to the, to the virus. So it's just so unpredictable right now. I think based on your, your, your facts, Matt, I think you're correct in your assessment that the NBA players are at a age and at a physical health level that they can fight it off at best they can. However, it's just so risky. Um, I do think the NBA is just going to power through no matter what at all cost. And I think with the, as Sean can put it, um, putting all these guys in a bubble for seven months is it's just not possible. It's it's just not doable from a money standpoint. You need to have these NBA arenas being played in and this having games being set. And you, and you just don't know where these players are getting the virus from, right? Are they getting it from the plane? Are they getting it when they go home to the grocery store? What are they doing inside? I mean, you can't ultimately police these people 24-7. It's impossible compared to the bubble in which – we discussed the, the drastic measures that they were taken. So ultimately, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, man, but I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, well, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. No. Um, you know, I also think that, you know, we're, we're a very pro player league and, and everything. Um, you know, everyone cheers on the players, wants the best for the players. Um, but I also think, you know, if if we're going to criticize Adam Silver and, and talk about this season and kind of expectations and maybe not meeting them. I, I think we also have to point out, you know, that there have been some issues and reports where players haven't been uh, extremely responsible either. Um, I, I'm not uh, trying to throw out judgment because I think it is really difficult, especially in States with stricter uh, guidelines, you know, that's, that's very difficult. And part of the human element is getting together with people being with people. Um, but it's, it's just a difficult balance to weigh. I, I think that happens um, for, for the everyday person who maybe is doing on-site working. Um, we've seen instances of this and, and I think, you know, it, it just speaks to a, a human element in the NBA too, that players are making mistakes. We're making mistakes as a society trying to figure out how to navigate coronavirus. Cause this is something that is unprecedented for us. I mean, unless some of you out there, maybe we have a, a listener who was born in 1918. Shout out to you. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, this this is uncharted territory, you know. So um, I, I definitely, I, I kind of try to reserve judgment and uh, understand that we're going to have these hiccups uh, as we go on in the league. And and I, as a fan, you know, selfishly, I'm grateful for basketball, but, uh, but also, you know, players have the opportunity to back out if, if this escalates even more so, and I don't think anyone's going to blame them for it. Yeah, it's just, it's a really unpredictable situation. I think some empathy on all sides would be great at this point, instead of just totally, um, saying it's a cash grab per se. Um, I will say the Seth Curry incident in which he was just like, looks like he was abducted <laughs> pretty much once his COVID case came back. I think that was ridiculous. I don't know why 
that wasn't handled sooner. I think that was you can't make those mistakes if you're the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's what gives um, a lot of, I guess, hesitancy and a lot of anger towards why the, the league doesn't care about its players and, and the safety moving forward when you have those incidents moving on. Hopefully, that was just an anomaly. That was just one thing. So we'll just have to watch and see. But if that continues to be a trend, then I think you might have to consider shutting the season down. That can't happen. Like, especially all the millions of dollars that the NBA has to have great testing, they need to have that handled um, before the game transpires. So um, other than that, I think some patience is required at this point. But again, if you see those incidents, I, I think there's there's grounds to shut down the league um, because you just can't have people that, you know, they're sitting on the bench and then their test comes back mid-game. I mean, what happens to all those people that were on the bench and being exposed? I mean, it's just, a, it's just too much of a risk at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, if you don't mind, uh, just getting the heavier topics out of the way, um, so we can kind of discuss a little basketball here. Um, this this week was a tough week for our nation um, regarding the the Capitol Hill um, attacks, and then, um, as you put it, the Kenosha um, incident as well regarding the the officers. Um, and the, the players expressing their disappointment regarding that it's been a very tough week. Um, re- regarding the, the Capitol Hill, um, just riot and attack um, from a basketball context. Um, I want to read you some comments from LeBron James and Doc Rivers and explain where they're coming from. Um, first, LeBron James. Um, first, he stated, um, do you understand now? I know the answer to that. Um, you still don't, because no matter what happens, you still won't be judged. Look at crazy, chained, beaten, hung, shot to death because of the color of your skin. Two Americas, we live and and it was at full capacity, living direct yesterday in our nation's capital, at the Capitol. Um, hashtag, I pray for better days for my people. Um, and then um, regarding um, just the Kenosha incident as well, um, Jalen Brown, and I believe he was with Jason Tatum. I believe they were together. That's I don't know right. if they were um, if they were together when he said this, but um, he says, in one America, you get killed by sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes, or playing in your backyard. Um, in another America, you, you get to storm the Capitol and no tear gas, um, no massive arrests, none of that. Um, Doc Rivers, coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, um, he said, I'll say it because I don't think a lot of people want to. Um, I disagree. I said it. Um, could you imagine today if those were black people storming the Capitol and, and what would have happened? So that is, to me, a, a picture that worth a thousand words for all of us to see and probably something for us to reckon with again. No police dogs turn on to people. No billy clubs hitting people. Peace, people peacefully being escorted out of the Capitol. So it shows that you can disperse a crowd peacefully, I guess, would be one thing. It's a sad day in a lot of ways. Not good for our country. More across the borders that people see this. But that's, but that's, but it's a part of what we are, and so we, and so we have to solve it. Um, so I guess I want to explain where they're coming from because you, a lot of people are comparing Black Lives Matter and then kind of the, the, the those behind the Trump movement. And 
you have two causes. You have one cause based on facts, in, in my opinion, which is Black Lives Matter. In terms of minorities, black people in particularly being disenfranchised for the color of their skin. There's evidence of this through slavery, Jim Crow laws, the constant shootings, stuff that we've discussed ad nauseum. Um, and then with Trump, and this has been disavowed through many of his allies, Lindsey Graham, um, Mitch McConnell, um, other Republican um, allies of his that have turned on him, that Joe Biden won the election. And these are hardcore Trump supporters. I mean, Lindsey Graham was Trump's homie, <laughs> for lack of a better term, for the last four years. And they have blatantly said that Joe Biden won the election. They went oh for whatever how many cases there were. And so to me, it's a false equivalency when you have Donald Trump at this rally in which he is provoking this crowd and doesn't explicitly say, you know, storm the Capitol, go kill people. But he's basically igniting this crowd of going to the Capitol steps and doing little to and nothing to when the situation is escalating. The guy watched cable news. He wasn't playing golf. He was there watching this, this, this situation playing out in real time. And to do nothing, that is where I think the frustration of LeBron, Doc Rivers, and others come into play is because – when Black Lives Matter was protesting, immediately you saw the National Guard deployed, and even before they were storming the Capitol. And, and here, when you have treasonous activity in which you know you have fecal matter being spread all over the Capitol steps, when you have a treasonous flag known as the Confederate flag being put in the the Capitol, we have something we haven't seen since the 1800s. I mean. I mean, what the hell is going on here, you know? So that's where I think the NBA players are coming from. I guess from an NBA standpoint, and we've we addressed this, what does the league, what do, what do the players do now? Because let, keeping it real, I mean, now, you know, Biden's in office. There's, you know, the Democrats have the House and Senate from a perception issue. And I think this is a matter of fact. I think most of the NBA players are for the Democratic Party. I think we can be blatantly honest about that. Are they going to hold these people accountable the same that they were for Donald Trump? That is that's ultimately my question, right? In terms of if they want him impeached, if you know a year from now we don't see legislation in, introduced from Joe Biden or Congress involving um, improving race relations with police, etc., other things that were on the agenda that the players fought for in the bubble, and you know if we're a year from now, and none of these things have been introduced or accomplished, and the NBA players remain silent. I feel that their words are hollow at this point, even though I agree with them. So, I guess, Matt, I want to ask you: Where did do you, what, what can the players do at this point? Because it seems like they ultimately they accomplished their goal in terms of the election, but now there's still clearly more work to be done. So, what do you think? Well. It's a big question, uh, and it's it's something that has been weighing heavy on my heart, um, you know, because I, I think um, both – I mean, let me first say that, that what happened last Wednesday uh, was despicable on, on many levels, and, and maybe that's putting it lightly. Um, you know, I, I think – Based on procedure and and what was possible for uh, to even happen when things were being certified, um, I, I just don't think that rally 
should have even been there. Um, and, and I want to make sure that I stay very consistent in that um, I absolutely 100% support the right to protest. Uh, so I, I support the right of those, um, you know, Trump supporters, let's say, um, to be there in peaceful protest. Uh, I support their right to do that peacefully, uh, not not what later ensued. I support, um, you know, what, what we saw last year, the many, many peaceful uh, protests that happened. Uh, I definitely support that. I, I also, um, you know, would like to say, and, and I hope that we as a nation can find more agreement after what happened this week that, um, you know, I, I don't support violent riots um, in any form. Um, and we, we definitely saw some violence. We saw uh, police brutality. Um, you know, a, a woman uh, about our age actually was, was killed at the Capitol. Um, you know, she, she definitely was committing a crime, no doubt. Uh, she should be in jail. She should, she should not be killed. Um, you know, this, this echoes many conversations you and I have had this past year um, on the other end, too. Um, so look for, for my purposes, I hope we can, can work to find some sort of unity because, uh, it feels to me like our, our population right now, our country, our citizenship is a frog that's in a pot right now. And, uh, and it breaks my heart to say that I think just about every media that I'm consuming because emotions are so raw, because people are so passionate because people want to see things get better. And I, I think there are actors that are bad and horrible and despicable. We saw one on Wednesday, a big one. Um, and, and I think most people um, in their heart of hearts want to see things get better, uh, but that's not always what happens with uh, people who are in power. Uh, unfortunately, to get back to this analogy of us being the frog in the pot, because emotions are raw, um, and we're speaking right after we see things, media is so fast, just about everything I see uh, starts turning the gas up on that water that we are sitting in as the frog. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to spread further division um, or anything like that. Um, but I do think we are in a place where we need to learn as a nation. And I'm sorry that I'm digressing. I, I will get to what you said here as far as the oh, players. But, um, but I do hope that we as a nation can find a way to start turning the temperature down in that water and just get along, even if somebody wants higher taxes, more government interaction, even if somebody wants the opposite, lower taxes, less government, whatever it is. If we don't agree on the solution, can we shake hands and still live in a country together? And I, I think that's a big question moving forward. That's something that I am certainly very concerned about. And, and I know that the NBA and the league is, is very concerned about as well. And, and we all have that right to be concerned and, and speak our minds about that. Absolutely. Um, and you're right that the NBA has been very successful. I mean, we saw just recently what happened in Atlanta. Really, that was going to be the big victory story until it was, God forgive me the, t the terrible pun, but until it was trumped on Wednesday, um, you know, that, that was really the big story. So I, I think moving forward, um, and, and this is purely 
my feelings, but I just hope to see more accountability, more people holding people in power uh, accountable. And I don't care what political party you are in, what political affiliation you have. Um, I think we've had a lot of garnering promises and things like that to later on just you know, make make a profit, gain power uh, once you get into office. So, so I hope that um, you know we stay stay critical of the next administration that comes in, um, and and I also hope that our emotions and leading with emotion doesn't lead us astray and lead us to do things that we later regret. And not to get into big old history thing, but. Um, I mean, the last time I can remember that we were this emotional was uh, when the tragedy of 9-11 happened. Um, and there you see this happen during uh, times of crisis that we are quick to act. We are quick to put in lots of legislation where we may not think of future unintended consequences. So I, I really hope as a nation that we are mindful of that. Um, but you know, I, I've been, I, you know, I hope you'll agree with me that I throughout all of this have always been pro free speech and I want the players to speak their minds and they are certainly entitled to do that. So I, I just hope that by them establishing these connections with, um, you know, may, many politicians, let's just be upfront. Um, you know, I, I hope that they hold them accountable as well. And I hope that, um, that we are are very critical uh, to the interest of of our nation. I don't know. That's what I've got. Um, a lot has been ma- racing through my mind this week. That's no different than anybody else that's been paying attention. Uh, but please give, give me your thoughts on all this and what you feel the players can do. So I think they're a um, reporter, an MMA reporter, Luke Thomas had a lot of good points regarding this, regarding the understanding the pain of each side, what they're experiencing. Right. And he even pointed to, you know, nine 11 and talking about like with Muslims, you know, the source of their anger towards the United States, them taking action towards our country was, they are their enemies of this country in terms of al-Qaeda, the terrorist organization. But Muslims themselves, the anger of what they go, they go through, why do they feel that way? And, and, and that anger, the source of their anger, they have a lot of legit points that, that they've experienced there. But however, in, in terms of attacking our country, is over the line. The same thing with BLM in terms of whoever during those protests damaging small businesses, damaging from that or Target or whatever, crossing the line. And with Trump supporters damaging the Capitol building and committing treasonous activity. Um, one thing I do want to want to say is just watching that and watching it unfold on Twitter um, is – just the number of misinformation that is out there on really both sides. And I think even the CNN fact checkers said that as well, like both sides putting out just wrong facts and misinformation. And it's just, it's a problem that I think people don't really have minds of their own, unfortunately, and they trust in their leaders to be the savior towards them. And I think when we have elected officials 
there needs to be more of a just how do I put this independent thought as approaching what decisions that they make. Like these, these are not your friends. They're there to make legislation for hopefully the betterment of the people. And I think that you should be looking at them as single decisions as rather than, you know, worshiping the ground that they walk on. I think that's a representation of celebrity culture. I mean, how many people, you know, would fight to the death for Justin Bieber or (laughs) for any other entertainer, probably a bunch. And I think that crosses over into politics. So I think when we see uh, these situations in which, the the perpetrators they should be fully um, prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Um, same thing goes for the terrorists that attacked our country. Same thing that goes for with the rioters that caused property damage, um, that burned down small businesses during the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, they should all be punished. But at the same time, understanding the source of why they feel that way is critical, and I, that's a hard thing to do because. You know, when somebody commits a heinous attack, it's usually just not to understand what they're they're going through. And I think it's it's imperative that if we're going to heal this country, um, for all of us, it's imperative just to listen to why people feel the way that they do. Because right now they're being radicalized in a way that's extremely scary at this point. And these these actions should not be condoned at all. It, these, this was a, a very dark day in our country, and it was a very heinous attack. At the same time, as somebody who detests Donald Trump and everything that he stands for, it, along with his allies, it, it's a situation in which I ultimately want to understand the mindset of somebody that supports him fully. And that is it's different than being a conservative and being a Republican, having a discourse as a thing that you mentioned that in terms of, hey, we can discuss gun rights, we can discuss defunding the police, um, money for schools, et cetera. These are all within fair game and we can have a debate either way, right? But when you're getting to attacking the the Capitol, and still I believe it was a poll that 52% of Republicans blame Joe Biden. <laughs> that's that's a serious problem here. And I think for for all of us as just Americans in general, there, I think there needs to be a, a, a powwow in understanding why do these people feel a certain way. There's a source of their anger, and it's beyond the misinformation of a being a QAnon supporter or believing everything that Donald Trump has to say. There's something else there, and I just don't believe that there's 72 million races out there either. I don't necessarily believe that, even though there's plenty of white supremacists, plenty of – really vile people within that party. There's so there's something wrong in, in terms of why that happened in, in this election and why it's just, it's mind boggling. So that I, th- I think from a player standpoint, that's where the frustration comes into play where you have peaceful protests with black lives matter for the most part. And yet there's the national guard being called out. And yet people are condemning BLM as some kind of terrorist organization when they're clearly not. When Colin Kaepernick first knelt, when they didn't understand why he was kneeling, they kind of dismissed it as, oh, racial injustice. Yeah, it doesn't affect me. It's it's not really a thing because it doesn't affect me in my daily life. It does. It, it's a thing where with, with African-Americans and really minorities in this country, it's a situation that we've only been about 40 years removed from Jim Crow laws. And that's not a long time. 
And this nation hasn't really, I don't know, addressed its racism full on yet. And I think a lot of empathy would be nice, uh, I think, on both sides. And not only that, but I think for, I think, just males in terms of like with the Me Too movement, when that happened, I was like talking to my girlfriend and my brother about this, like us being males and understanding what women go through on a daily basis, what we take for granted, us walking down the street when it's dark, uh, uh, you know, with, with women, they don't, they're not afforded that opportunity because, you know, they, they're dealing with their own, with the fears that they have. And I think for everybody, it's, it's a, it's a matter of fact, they're trying to understand what the other person is going through. And I think that would help in a situation because moving forward, I do believe Trump should be prosecuted. I do think the ones that stormed the Capitol building should face a harsh penalty. I think, but moving forward, I think having a reasonable discourse as to putting these, these um, issues out on the table would, would help a lot in terms of moving on. And I think from a league standpoint, from these players, I think they should continue to speak up, continue to be proactive, and continue to hold Joe Biden and the Democrats accountable as well for the agenda that they want. Let's put their money where their mouth is. LeBron James, he put all this money into more than a vote campaign. We need There needs to be some action regarding what his agenda, what they want. And so if we're two years down the road, say the Lakers win the title again and and Joe Biden has done none of this and he's just shooting baskets with Joe Biden, what really has been accomplished, right? Like just your friend just got into office without holding him accountable as well. And, and LeBron looks like a hypocrite. And so that's my worst fear is, is a year from now is, you know, everything seems calm. Nothing's really happened and none of these issues are being addressed. And, we're seeing, you know, the same problems that have really plagued our nation. So um, I think from a player standpoint, they should be continue to be proactive, continue to not let these issues fall by the wayside and, and always just continue to bring it up, even if there's an obvious, quote unquote, villain um, that's must be that might be dominating the news cycle that day. I, I think you and I have very uh, similar fears for the future moving forward. I, I yeah. think one of the scariest things you can have is is unchecked power. Sure. Um, and when you have uh, someone as despised and um, beloved at the same time by by a certain percentage of people um, and a cult of personality that Donald Trump was. Um, you know, it can also leave a scary vacuum when he is gone and it may lead us to assume that a lot of the problems go with him. I do not think that is the case. Um, as, as you said, I, I think, um, you know, I I agreed with so much of what you said. I, I think conversation and understanding, um, is, is so important. Um, and I, I think also not projecting, um, politicians to their voters in all cases. So, uh, I mean, using the Donald Trump example, you know, I, I know people who um, voted for Donald Trump that it's it's more a situation of plugging your nose and voting for him than really this um, characterization that there's, there's like a love of him. Now, there are, are certainly people in that category as well. Um, and it goes that way, um, with it should go that way anyway with uh any politician that we're we're talking about it's um you know the situation with donald trump is is just um very unique something 
again, we, we talked about coronavirus being unprecedented. It's, it's unfortunate that we've also had another un, unprecedented situation. Um, you know, I, I will say maybe on a bright note, um, there, there are lots of reports coming out of folks participating in that, uh, you know, especially some of the, the like memes that we saw on that Capitol Hill thing. A lot of those people are uh, being prosecuted, jailed um, as we speak, um, rightfully so. And, and I hope they receive the, you know, the full extent of the law, all, all the crimes that they were, were guilty of in storming the Capitol. Uh, we'll see what happens and, and we need to keep it, Keep it accountable. Agreed. And I hope the NBA um, is on the forefront, along with the WNBA, on these issues now that we're, we're entering a new phase of this also. I think that's critical, right? Now that, like you said, just because Trump is gone, I think it's even worse um, that he's been removed from, these, from office and these issues that have been brought up are not being focused upon. I think that's going to really hurt their cause um, in the future. So uh, hopefully, you know, as you know, if these incidents do come up in terms of racial injustice or other things that might be um, social causes for um, the players to take up, they use their voice and speak their mind on a pretty regular basis, because I think that's going to help the conversation moving forward. And not only that, just with mental health, with um, Kevin Love, um, I think all these issues really make the NBA the, the lead that it is despite all of its problems and everything that they're going through. So ultimately we'll, we'll, we'll have to just wait and see how it plays out. Um, it has been a very rough week and I think hopefully brighter days are ahead. Um, did you have anything else, anything else you wanted to comment on this Matt, before we move on? No, I think, I think we're good there. You know, um, e- even with specific uh, regards to this issue, I want to see more, of the story and investigation develop before I really comment on it further. Sure. Um, You know, to just, um, yeah, I I think we can move on to some other stuff. So let's move on to our next topic and that is trending teams um, and which teams are really making the moves in the standings in the NBA. Um, Just saw a really awesome game between the uh, Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks that went to overtime. Um, That was on TNT. Um, really cool to see. Um, right now, um, the 76ers have lost two in a row. The Boston Celtics have won four in a row. They're tied for first. We've had the Hornets that are, have won three in a row. They're in the eighth spot. Uh, down are the Hawks. Um, they're the, in the 11th spot. Um, earlier, it's funny because the Hawks were perceived to be maybe a team on the rise, but they've lost four in a row. And then the Wizards, um, they have lost um, three in a row. They're in the 15th spot. Um, that was in the East. In the West, um, the Suns have won one. Um, the Lakers have won one, so they're tied for first. So the Phoenix Suns continue to be one of the brighter um, stories in the league, and Josh would be very happy about that. Um, the Dallas Mavericks, fifth. The San Antonio Spurs, seventh. Excuse me, the yep, uh, seventh, and they both won three in a row. The Pelicans... Just even with the addition of Zion this season, lost three in a row in 10th place. The Timberwolves in 15th place, lost seventh in a row. And we have five teams that are tied for fourth um, in the West at five and four. So right now, not really a lot of data to really make a judgment one way or another. I was talking, again, referencing the um, Sean interview you heard earlier. earlier. Um, 
really, it's not enough to assert a great prediction. And that's why my mindset's kind of like, let's see when we get 30 games in. Even right now, the Knicks, they are playing pretty decently with Tom Thibodeau. The Bulls, they have shown some signs of life despite their record. So there's a lot of teams there that there's some talent there. There's some things working but their records may not be showing it. We're, we're still pretty early besides kind of those higher teams like the Lakers and maybe even Brooklyn's. So what do you make of what's happening in the league so far? Any of this data, should we be taking it more seriously as a sign for things to come? Um, you know, I, I think uh, there are things in the East that are good signs, like how the uh, 76ers have been at the top. Uh, of the East and the Celtics. Uh, I think those are good indicators. And and like Jalen Brown coming into his own, playing at an all-star caliber lever, level, excuse me. Uh, so there, there are some things like that that I think are worth noting. Um, but overall, I, I'm with you. We need, especially with this week being so irregular um, and continuing to be so as, as we just got news of, uh, you know, the Heat and Celtics game being postponed. Um, it, it does make it more difficult to judge, I guess. Um, you know, the other thing I would say that's, that's going to be a, a topic we cover in, in terms of Steph Curry's career game uh, this, this past week, but uh, also the Warriors kind of um, coming back to life, you know, maybe with Draymond returning and everything, um, that's, that's carried some positive momentum for them. Um, so that's, that's always good to see as well. Um, because they're they're such an interesting team this year uh, as to maybe like a high ceiling and a very low floor, depending on on what uh, transpires over the year. But yeah, I, I'm with you in that I don't think we can make any huge predictions other than teams that are are at the top that we were kind of suspecting, um, like like the Lakers, for example. I mean, the Lakers just kind of coasting. Um, seems like things are pretty easy for them. Um, and I, I think that's just a sign of, of where they are and, and how deep they are. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't really have any too st- strong impressions. I do have a question to ask you just regarding uh, Steph Curry and just him seeing to, you know, light it up and the early season criticism of him, not being himself and whatever garbage has been put out there. Um, do you think that fans ultimately don't matter in terms of a player heating up or getting on fire? Because we've seen it with Steph, you know, and we've seen it, I think, I believe with Bradley Beal too, um, just in terms of their high point performances that while I think a crowd does help, ultimately it's that player that's going to erupt for those performances is that we're ultimately seeing, this is kind of like an experiment with limited to no fans that players can just kind of turn it on themselves. And that I guess what I'm asking you is the fan influence on the game, a little bit overblown in terms of a player erupting for a athletic performance, or do you think that's still a factor? Um, once we get fans back into the stands that they might pose an influence on, on these games in terms of the athletes involved. Um, you know, I, I think the, I heard someone say, um, and, and I apologize for not remembering who it was that said this, but 
that uh, I think where we're seeing the fan, the absence of fans impact games the most is in these blowouts where, um, you know, maybe a team is down by nine points. The fans get a chant going. You know, you have um, some some specific, like in, in Atlanta, they have an organist that'll, that'll play, the fans get chanting, and maybe the players have a lockdown defensive play, and that sparks, you know, a 9-0 and run, and then you have a basketball game again. I, I think that's where mostly we are, are seeing that impact. I mean, with Steph Curry specifically, it does seem that was in part social media, in part comments by Damian Lillard before the game, which by the way I thought were warranted and reasonable, but Steph took it that way and, uh, you know, kind of like Jordan used things for fuel. He used that as well. I think things from other players are a lot more impactful than the fans specifically, just because I think there's so much noise around players all the time anyway, uh, like on social media and on the court, fans yelling at them, that I think they have gotten good at tuning that out. So I think um, it's, it's more impactful as in terms of like a team effort, like, hey guys, don't lay down and let this team stomp you by 30 points. We're here, we're watching, we're with you. We want you to be engaged. Yay, they get that stop, they go on that run. Uh, that's kind of the difference that I see, but um, do you think there might be a little bit more to the individual performances? Um, not too really. I think players are performing to what we we've seen. And also, I mean, there's just some teams that haven't played the game in a while, just because of the pandemic, they're trying to get back into the swing of things. That's another contributing reasons. Um, I'm kind of 50, 50 on the back to backs. I understand the, the necessary implementation of them, but I don't know if it leads to the best quality on the floor. So that's kind of a wait and see. I could see that sticking around after the pandemic, to be honest, um, just that back-to-back series. So I could see it going either way. But I think fans factor more in terms of a team being down by a certain amount of points, just in terms of the importance of a game and just the momentum that it has. Um, so I think fans are a factor in that regard. I'm not sure in terms of a guy – going off for an individual performance. I think that's basically on, on the player, in my opinion. Um, anything else you want to allude to, Matt, before we uh, yeah. move on to our last yeah, topic? Uh, no, I have, I think um, just mentioning that Steph Curry did have that 62-point game, um, and Bradley Beal also had a 60-point game this week. That was career-high scoring night for both of those players. Um, so, you know, un- unfortunately, I, I think for Bradley Beal, that came in a loss for the Wizards. Maybe I'm wrong on that. No, they've, they've lost their last three. So, um, you know, um, I, I guess the, just a quick question. Do you think that, um, you know, what was seen on social media was just kind of like a Twitter troll thing? Do you think the the wide perception around the league, like, like certainly, I don't think anyone in the media thinks this, but is there a perception before that sixty-two point game that Steph Curry was really like downhill? I mean, you you mentioned that briefly, and and I kind of when I heard that Steph Curry got angry and you know inspired to put up those sixty-two points, I mean, I I do understand and I think it's fair because I I myself 
you know, wonder where the Warriors are going to turn out this season. But uh, even though I have them put at the eighth seed, and I know Steph would maybe take that as a diss, uh, just being an athlete and being a competitor, I certainly don't attribute that to a lack of ability um, on Steph Curry's part. As as I've said before, you know, it's it's more that this team has always been get it done by committee, and a big part of their committee, Clay Thompson isn't there this year, as we know. And and we've gotten a little bit better play from uh, Kelly Dubre and, um, and Andrew Wiggins, but that was more of my doubt. So, sorry, long story short, I mean, do you, do you think there really was a wide sense that Steph Curry might be over the hill? Um, I think a little bit. It's going to, with the injuries involved, him being out. I mean, same thing with Kevin Durant. I think there is that perception as well. And it's it's just so bizarre, especially in their circumstances. Like it's almost like if they were struggling, like this season kind of doesn't count. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, just in terms of the circumstances involved. Um, but yeah, I think that perception was out there to a certain extent in terms of Steph Curry not being himself. And I think it partly it goes to his game, right? His game is so unbelievable. Like the way he shoots, no one shoots like him ever in NBA history. Question thing with Kevin Durant, while there is speculation about his, you know, him coming back from the Achilles tear, his game is a lot more versatile, somewhat in terms of how he scores and his height too. So, even Kevin Durant at a seventy percent level, super highly dangerous. Or what is if Steph Curry can't shoot, that's going to really limit him. And also with if Draymond's hurt and Clay Thompson's not there and Wiseman's not developing, he's going to take on the, the forefront. And if you know, before these, these perceptions of what was going on before the season started, if he was struggling to shoot the ball, how effective he's, if he was going to be. So I think those were the questions entering the season. I like him angry. I like Steph Curry having a chip on his shoulder. I think that's going to really help the Warriors, not only him, but Draymond as well. Um, you know, I, I keep referring to the Sean Hyken interview, but he had another good point. You know, Draymond can score no points, but still be massively effective. And he's such a vital part of that team. And him being back is critical to Steph Curry's success and, and why I think his numbers have improved. So it, I think from an outsider's point of view or somebody who doesn't watch the game, they might wonder why did, why is Draymond even on his team. But he is so vital as to – not only his, but, you know, Clay Thompson's success as well, that ultimately I think you're going to see kind of that reverence come back for Steph Curry if it's not already back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And, and my question would be, um, you know, if is Steph Curry having to play so aggressively going to be detrimental in the long run? Um, and obviously that, that remains to be seen. But I agree with you. I like seeing angry Steph Curry. Yeah, me too. Um, <clears throat> moving on real quick, and I don't think we have to spend too much time on this because Shaq seems to just go after a lot of players in the league. And, and on a point, he uh, went after Rudy Gobert. Um, he said this week, I'm not going to hate, but this should be an inspiration to all the little kids out there. You average 11 points in the NBA, you should get $200 million. And then Gobert via Twitter. He said, there is no beef. If people want to keep speaking negatively about me or keep discrediting what I do, it's on them. And all that does is show who they are. I always, I'm a, I will always be happy for a brother beating the odds, and I'm always going to keep beating the odds. And then Shaq on the um, broadcast this week on TNT said, um, Chuck, if 11 points gets you $200 million, 
38 points would give you $600 million, right? Um, Chuck said, if I played today, I'd be going to games in a spaceship. Um, I guess with Shaq, I think you, you have a question here regarding why is Shaq, I guess, punching down? Um, why is he kind of going after players? I think he kind of takes himself as a big brother in the league. I think in his eyes, like he's a de facto mentor of the kind of bigger guys, um, guys playing in the paint, even if they don't want his advice, even as unwarranted. So I think this might be a way of trying to motivate him. To, I think very similar to what happened with Dwight Howard, at least in the beginning. And I think the same thing with JaVale McGee. Like I don't, I think Shaq is very old school. I don't think he likes his position of center being made a joke or being downplayed in this league where it's guard dominated. So I think where he sees guys that, you know, he's, you know, picked on through social media, I think it's a way of trying to motivate him, even though I think his methods are ill-advised and having the opposite effect on, on a lot of these players. So what do you make of this, Matt? Do you think it's a Shaq being a bully in this situation? It, it certainly comes across that way uh, from public perception because, you know, you kind of have this weird vibe where, you know, Shaq, nobody is saying that Rudy Gobert is a better center than you or more valuable than you, even though he got this contract. Like, it's it's just a sign of the times and, you know, the market dictates your value and you're you're not going to turn down that money if you're Rudy Gobert. You're going to take that contract. So it just um, is very off-putting from a guy who otherwise, in, in most cases, I, I think people would widely agree is very, very likable and marketable. I mean, the most marketable big man that we've ever seen in league history. Um, so it's, it's just a little bit strange to see this, this petty side of him. And, and I do think you're right in that maybe that's his way of um, playing this big brother and mentor role to these guys in the league. But I, I just think if you want to have that perception of being a mentor, I mean, I would rather, like, I would take these comments if he was also down there, like, doing drills with Rudy Gobert or something like that, or teaching him a few tricks like that, which I I have yet to see uh, something like that from Shaq. You know, the the fact that he's also, you know, a media member now, let's face it, um, you know, just kind of adds another component of this that's, like, dude, you're you're just punking JaVale McGee to get more right. material for your show. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of odd and a little bit off-putting. But, um, but I think you're right. I, I think he does see it as kind of like this mentor, big brother, like, hey, come on, man. I know I pick on you, but I want you to be great kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just typical beef with that Shaq's getting into. Nothing else is new. Um, did you have any other topics you wanted to touch on, Matt, before we uh, say goodbye this week? I think I'm good, man. I, I think that makes uh, for a great episode. Uh, thank you, as always. It is uh, it's therapeutic to talk to you every week for me. Yeah, I, I really agreed. appreciate the conversation. Um, and thank you to Sean Hyken for being on the show. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, showing you guys the content that, that we've been putting out later this week. For sure. 
Um, stay tuned for the Chris Manning interview. Um, we have a, a full docket of guests coming on the show um, for the rest of the month of January and February as well. Um, drop us a line via email, hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We're available on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Find us on there. Um, leave us a line. Uh, these, any questions, um, positive, negative feedback, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful. Um, so for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. Have a very good start to your week, and we will see you next time. See you later. Peace.